This is Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, the podcast for women who want to focus on their personal development and their professional priorities, increase their earnings, expand their influence, and step into a role of higher leadership to create the change that makes the difference that is so needed at this time. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Gillette. I spent 25 years climbing the leadership ladder. The last 10 has an executive in sports television, a highly intoxicating and extremely toxic work environment. You could say I'm intimately familiar with the special challenges all women, especially women in roles of leadership, face in the workspace. My podcast, Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done, offers a practical guide for women. Weekly episodes feature conversations with recognized experts, authors, and influencers, covering topics from navigating corporate culture and coping with gender bias to prioritizing self-care and managing work-life balance. For more information, please contact me at lisa at bigsky.coach. Gender bias is real. The pay gap is not a myth. We know that women earn anywhere from 54 cents to 91 cents on the dollar to any man in a similar role with a similar title and a similar range of experience. The pay gap is real. We also know the leadership gap is real. And there's the broken rung. Seven out of 10 employees that are men will move into management while only three out of 10 employees that are women will move into management. Women make up over 52% of the workforce, and yet we're found in less than 20% of the management roles. And when it comes to the C-suite, chief executive officer, chief operating officer, chief of finance, chief of marketing, we make up less than 5%. So let's just acknowledge the playing field is not even. And when we get into the home life, we find that more women than men live below the poverty line. Many more women than men are the heads of single parent households. And it's no surprise that many more women than men are responsible not only for child care, but for elder care. And so that's why it's time right now to stand up to step up and to speak up. If you are a woman who wants to move up the leadership ladder, advancing your career so you can make the change that brings the difference that we so need at this time, I wanna talk to you and I wanna hear from you. Hi, my name is Lisa Gillette. I'm your host of Grace, Grit and Getting It Done. I spent 25 years in corporate. The last 10 has an executive in sports television. So you could say I am intimately familiar with the special challenges all women face in the workspace, especially those in leadership roles. Sports television was a wild ride. It was highly intoxicating. And it was also an extremely toxic work environment. So today I am super excited to introduce my guest to you, Dr. Lois Frankel. She is a New York Times bestseller, and she is going to be talking to us about one of her books on women's leadership called Nice Girls Don't Speak Up or Stand Out, How to Make Your Voice Heard, Your Point Known, and Your Presence Felt. Because let's face it, we need to use our words. Communication is a critical skill that all women need to develop if they want to step into a role of leadership 
or even survive working in a male-dominated business environment. Because, you know, we want a seat at the table, but we must have a voice at the table. Because it doesn't matter if we're in the room where it happened. If we don't have a voice, we could be sitting anywhere. We need to be seen, heard, and understood in order to be recognized, respected, and rewarded. Words matter, and so do tone and intention. And one thing many women, in fact, most women, have in our back pocket is a high level of emotional cognition. We're able to read the room, understand where people are emotionally, what their moods are, and we modify our communication in order to reach them and speak to them where we're at. However, we cannot use our at-home voice when we're at work or vice versa. I remember as a child coming in from a recess and being told, okay, time to use the inside voice. You have your outside voice when you're playing, but your inside voice when you're in the classroom. This is true too in the workspace. At work, we have our at-work voice. At home, with the people we love, we have our at-home voice. We would not speak to a subordinate the way we speak to a child. We would not speak to a colleague the way we speak to a partner. We would not speak to a superior the way we speak to an elder or a parent. And I reference this as code switching. And if you read code or write code, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, you may say to yourself, well, wait a minute, what about my authentic voice? Consider this. You would not go to Germany and speak Japanese and expect to be understood. Conversely, you would not go to Japan and expect to be understood if you were speaking German. This is true for an at-home voice and an at-work voice. So just consider dropping your voice, lowering it, and speaking much more slower when you're at work. And no suggestions they need to be directives. I also want to reference three things that Dr. Frankel and I are going to dive into. There was an article written by Jessica Bennett in 2015, and she identified three types of what I call male pattern misbehavior. Manterrupt, appropriate, and mansplain. And I think we've all experienced this before. Mansplain when some guy you work with who doesn't really understand your function or what you really do, or what your duties are, decides to tell you how to do your job. Yeah, we've all experienced that. Or what about bro-create? This is when you're sitting in a meeting and you come out with an awesome idea and you say, I've got a solution for this problem. I think that this could be sustainable. This could really resolve our issues. And it doesn't seem to land. Then two seats down the table, some guy, speaks exactly what you said were and you say what and then of course there's manterrupt women are interrupted six times more than men in the workspace so fortunately i've got an expert who's going to walk us through all of this this is dr lois frankel again she's a new york times bestseller she's going to be talking about her book nice girls don't speak up or stand out and if you'd like to ask any questions just be sure to drop me a line and we'll get her, her uh, your questions answered. So Dr. Frankel, I'd love to ask you a question and it's pretty basic. Why do you do what you do? 
Yeah. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me on your show. This is really an honor and a thrill for me. So thank you. Um, you know, why do I do what I do? I have a vision statement for myself. And that vision statement is that I have a, a burning desire to create significant and enduring change in the lives of the people that I'm privileged to serve. And so anything that I do has to be measured against that vision. And that's been true for the last 30 years. That, that for me, it's really about helping to take people from where they are to where they want to go. And that's, that's the role of a coach. If you think about the original definition of a coach, the original definition was a vehicle or a vessel that took people from one place to another. Well, if we apply that to business coaches, it's the same kind of thing. I, I want people to get to where they want to be and stay there. That is awesome. So I noticed that a lot of um, women, and I'm one of them, have a high, high, high level of self-judgment. It's not good enough. It needs to be perfect. Why do you think that's much more prevalent in women than in men? Well, I mean, just look at our society, right? Look at the messages that women get. You know, when you were talking about um, use your indoor voice, you know, I, I don't know if you had brothers or if they got that message or not, but it's like little girls get different messages than little boys. And so it, it's like we're never quite sure of our footing. When I was when I listened to you say that about the indoor voice, I remember once I was whistling while I was working uh, my father had a dry cleaning store and I was whistling while I was working. And another woman who worked there came over and said, don't you know that young women don't whistle? Now, she probably had a headache, but my entire life, I thought young women don't whistle, right? I mean, that's the message that I got. So I think, you know, women get these messages that are very critical and then we absorb them. Right. We we act as if they're true. Look at magazines, movies, television shows. Right. There's an image of how we're supposed to be. And the fact is, none of us can live up to that image. And so we again, we internalize these external messages that are given to us. And we are so critical of ourselves when it is simply not necessary. That is, that is so true. So. If someone was going to overcome self-judgment, what are some just simple tools that you might share? Yeah. Back to that little voice. You know, I, and it, thank you for saying to talk back to that little voice, because that's really what it's about. It's about having a mantra that you use whenever you start to feel um, a little bit insecure or feel less than someone else. And the mantra has to be different for everybody, but it's so simple that once you start repeating this mantra over and over and over, it becomes your reality. So that mantra could be as simple as, I'm as good as the next person and I deserve to have this whatever it is, job or this car or this house, you know, I'm as good as the next person and I deserve fill in the blank. If you were to say that enough to yourself over and over and over, it becomes your reality and it replaces those voices that say you're not good enough or um, you don't deserve this, or who do you think you are? And those are the voices in our heads. 
right, that, that they're usually old voices and they're usually voices of people from our childhood that gave us messages about what we could do and we couldn't do. And we really need to tape over those. As a matter of fact, doing the Nice Girls series of books, you know, people think I'm saying that you can't be nice and get what you want, but nothing's further from the truth. The Nice Girl series of books refers to the fact that you can't be that nice little girl you were told to be in childhood and expect to achieve your adult goals. Oh, gosh, that spot on. So this leads me right into the next question, is that there are many women in roles of high leadership, super accomplished and yet there's imposter syndrome that, oh, my goodness, someone's going to find out I shouldn't be here. Can you talk to that? I mean, it's so open. Yeah, you know, and it is true that that is how women feel, that they somehow don't belong there. Well, sometimes when you look around, it's clear that you don't belong there or that maybe they didn't want you there. Right. And when I say you don't belong there, I don't mean you're not capable of being there, but that you don't fit in with all these other uh, men, particularly older white men, right? So one of the things that you can do, and I have women do this in leadership classes, is I help them focus on their impression management, mm -hmm. that there's a word on the street about all of us. It's what people say about us when we walk out of a room. And people are always saying something about us when we walk out of a room. You can decide what you want that to be. Another way to, that I describe this is the word on the street right? There's a word on the street about all of us. So what you want to do is decide what you want that to be. And the first step is to write it down. I would have my um, people in my workshops fill in the sentence, there goes a leader who, ah. fill in the blank, right? There goes a leader who's smart, who cares about her followers, who is strategic, and who's a real team player. I, I just came up with those four things. Right. But you can come up to th come up with three to five things that you want people to say about you when you walk out of a room. Once you come up with them, then you have to put teeth in them because people don't know us by our intentions. They know us by our behavior. Right. And so, I, you know, I can't say, well, I want people to say that I'm smart. Well, they're only going to say that if I come to every meeting prepared, if I read what's the latest and greatest in my field, and if I'm willing to talk about that, if the words come out of my mouth. So for each of those um, descriptors that you want someone to use about you, then apply some behaviors. What do I have to see you doing for people to call you that? God, that's brilliant. Um, one said that made so much sense was when you're prepared, you looked relaxed and that looks like leadership. Mm -hmm. So brilliant. I'd like to dive in a little bit and ask you, how did you get started? Oh, that's an interesting story, Lisa. Um, and it's also a story that I want women to understand says we don't, that says we don't always live linear lives, right? <laughs> that in fact, when we, when we think linear, linearly, we sometimes miss what's on the periphery. You know, for me, I was working at Arco, the oil company in downtown Los Angeles in human resources. And while I was working there, I was working PhD in counseling psychology because all I ever really wanted was to be a psychologist. And so when I got that degree, I quit my job, which was, you know, a great job. 
um, and it, it was with some trepidation that I quit to start my own practice of psychotherapy. And I opened it in downtown Los Angeles because I wanted to work with the population I knew, which was, you know, people who were working professionally outside the home at that time, outside the home. Now it's inside the home. Um, and so I was doing that for about a year and I realized I'd made a mistake that even though my dream from the time I was 13 years old was to become a psychologist, I didn't really enjoy being one. It just wasn't suited to my personality. And I was wondering, what am I going to do next? Um, and kind of despairing over it. When a woman called me who I had done some training for and said, Lois, would you be willing to coach someone? Now, I had no idea what a coach was. This was almost 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago. And they didn't have business coaches back then, right? And so when she said, would you coach someone for me? I said, well, tell me a little bit about what you're looking for. And she said, oh, Lois, you've worked in human resources. You've done training. You've been a therapist. You put it all together. You have a coach. Now, I had no idea what I was supposed to do with that first client. but I took it on because I thought it sounds kind of interesting and it was life-changing because it did take advantage of all of my skills and education and, um, and job experiences. And so it's really a tale about how, it, again, if you think you're going in one direction and then you realize, wait a minute, this isn't right for me, don't stay on that path. Look on the periphery, let other things come in and take risks. Because again, I had no idea what a coach would do, but I figured it out. And just like listeners, you're smart. You'll figure it out. That's what counts. Oh, that is brilliant. And what an interesting time to start your coaching practice because it wasn't really prevalent for executives to have coaches at that point. It was a really new field, really interesting. So if you could give your younger self advice, and I heard you say, give yourself permission if you make a career choice that may not be the right choice, give yourself permission to explore other options. What other advice would you give your younger self or really any young woman entering the workforce? Well, you know, one of the uh, one of the signs I had in my office for many years was no guts, no glory. <laughs> okay. And I even had it uh, when I went to uh, Indonesia once and they do a lot of woodworking. I had it put on a on a desk plate, no guts, no glory. And it was a reminder to me that you have to take risks, that when you leap the net will appear if you know exactly what you want to do or even have a reasonable prox uh, proximity of it. Because when I, um, I had to close my therapy practice, and that was a big risk too, after, after uh, quitting a good job and then starting this whole practice and then closing that. And I didn't want people to think I was flaky and there was all those things that went through my head. And then I realized I just have to pursue this coaching thing. I don't know where it's gonna go, but I think there's something in this. And so I really put all of my eggs in that basket. And it worked out, as I said, it was transformative. So I think what I have to tell women is, leap in the net will appear. No guts, no glory. And also, everything will work out in the end. And if it hasn't worked out, 
it's not the end. Okay, that you have control over where your life goes. No one but you. You know, there's people who, if you think that 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 the external controls you, it's that external locus of control for you. You know, you're never going to be satisfied. But once you get that, you're the one that is in control here. It's an inside job. Like even uh, when we were on the commercial break, I was thinking to myself, you know, so much of what I just talked about in that first second section, it's an inside job. Whether it's telling yourself, hey, I can do this, giving yourself a mantra, um, t- telling yourself what kind of leader you want to be and then making that happen. It's an inside job and you can do it. Yeah, there's a, a expression, and I don't know who said it, but if a person believes they can, or a person believes they can't, they're right. They're right, yeah. exactly. Self motivation, self direction. Um, I'd like to ask you about the biggest challenge you faced, and and how you overcame it. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge I faced was that I came from a family who didn't really have any expectations for me. Um, I had two brothers and they had high expectations for my brothers, but for me, there were really no expectations. And I was even thinking the other day, how did I even wind up at college? Because nobody at home talked to me about college. So somehow I must have, you know, figured out, well, this has to be a next step for me because otherwise, what do I do? Especially when I saw my brother go to college, but my father had said, um, he, didn't want to pay for college because he thought it'd be a waste of money for me. And so my mother, who was a nurse, paid for it out of her nursing salary. And that was always a huge gift. And it was one that I always felt like I had to give big returns on the investment. And so um, just with that knowledge that she invested in me and I need to show a return on investment so that when I got my master's degree, um, I got it fully paid for by working at the college where I got it. And then my Ph.D. was primarily paid for by ARCO. So I tell people where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to do something You know, you can figure out how to do it. And I was really very fortunate that my mother started me on the right path. Isn't that interesting when you're really clear on what you want, you just focus and all the obstacles and there are big ones. You just learn how to navigate around them. Yep. Amazing. Amazing. What motivated you to start writing, Dr. Frankel? What was it about writing that you thought, I got to put this down in a book, several books? Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, there's always a moment of inspiration, I think, for any book. And for the Nice Girl series, it was sitting with a client who was sent to me for coaching. She was a vice president of manufacturing. And she was sent to me for coaching because she was a little bit on the aggressive side of assertive. We know what we call those women, right? And so I'd been working with her for a couple of months. And when I went to see her, and she was in Herndon, Virginia, and um, I w- my office was in Pasadena, California. And so when I went to see her, she, uh, uh, she said, I just want to tell you, I was invited to sit on the executive committee of my company. And I went to give her a high five. And she stopped me. And I said, what? And she said, you know, I've been to those meetings. They're a waste of time. And what popped out of my mouth was, honey, you got to quit being a girl because she knew exactly what I meant. 
that women think they have to be productive 150% of the time. So if the meetings are a waste of time, I shouldn't be taking my time going to that meeting. Well, as I said to her, meetings are to be seen and see and sell ideas. And there's all kinds of reasons for meetings that have nothing to do with productivity. And yes, you're going to sit on that committee. And so when I was flying back to um, Los Angeles from Herndon, Virginia, I started thinking of all the stupid things I've seen women do because of their socialization, not because they're stupid, because of their socialization. So that was a good example of, I have to be busy all the time. Or another one is, you know, I always have to be smiling and be nice. Or um, I can't disagree with authority. Or, you know, basically, coming back on that trip, I came up with 101 mistakes women make because of their socialization. And so I wanted to write this book because I realized that many of the women that needed a book like this were never going to have coaching because companies don't invest often in women. They invest in men, but they weren't at the time, especially they weren't investing in women. And I thought, I want a book where women can coach themselves to success. Mm -hmm. So I just took all the same coaching tips I'd been giving my clients for years and put them in one place. That is brilliant. And I have that book. <laughs> that was, that's how I avoided committing boss aside. A couple <laughs> of um, so I want to talk to you specifically about your most recent bestseller, Nice Girls Don't Stand Up and Speak Out, because I know many women feel, well, one, our voices are softer uh, in California, and I do this too. I sometimes upspeak. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things that I know consciously I should not be doing, but then there was so much meat in that book. So you offer some incredibly effective solutions to deal with what I call male pattern misbehavior. And I'd like to specifically dive in on, and your choice, up, appropriate, mansplain, wherever you want to start, because you have such an awesome sense of humor. And okay. I, I really, I, I just, the practicality of it is, it sticks. Um, yeah, and it's important to say that I wrote that book as an audio book. So you can get it in a Kindle edition, but it's not available like in a paperback. Um, and I wanted it to be audio because I wanted people to hear me, to hear the inflection, to hear what it sounds like so that they could essentially emulate that. And by the way, the title of that book was not Nice Girls Don't Speak Up and Stand Out. The title of the book was How to Tell People to Go to Hell So They Look Forward to the Trip. Because that's the real challenge for women. We're not allowed to speak up and stand out in the same way as men. Right. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't speak up and stand out. So that's why that book contains tips for how women can do it and not get called that dreaded B word. So going back to your question, let's first talk about manterrupting. So manterrupting, and I, you said it in the lead in that, you know, women are interrupted far more than men are interrupted in the workplace. They even did a study of Supreme Court justices, and they saw that the women justices were interrupted more than the male justices. So um, manterrupting is obviously when a man interrupts you before you have finished what you have to say. You can do one of two things. When you get interrupted, 
you can use the hand and say, hold on, Joe, I wasn't quite finished. Okay, now, would you do that with your boss? Probably not. Okay, probably not, but depending on your relationship with your boss. But you could certainly do it with peers and you could say, hold on, hold on one second. I wasn't quite finished. Now, if for whatever reason you're not com comfortable doing that, let the person finish what they have to say. And then what you can do is go back to it and say, um, are you finished, Joe? OK, let me finish my thought because I, I hadn't quite finished it. Um, when you started speaking, you don't have to chastise anybody for interrupting you. All you do is make sure you take back the floor that if your thought isn't completed, you deserve to have your thought completed. So that's man interrupting. Mansplaining is when a man explains to you something that you already know or explains to someone else something that you know. So it could be that you're in a meeting with a client. And the client looks at you and asks a question, and you're with a male colleague, perhaps. And the client looks at you, asks a question, the male colleague starts talking, right? In that case, you need to stop them and say, hold on, Joe, I've got this, okay? It's important because it's these subtle things that burnish our reputations and so you really need to interrupt that person and say hang on I've got that and there's a second piece of this which has to do with um, if somebody mansplains to you and say you have a degree in this subject being able to say well you probably didn't realize I have a degree in this I've worked in human resources for 30 years and I've had my own coaching practice for 25 years they're not going to do that twice to you Oh my gosh, I love this. Dr. Frankel, I, I do want to ask you about Bropriate because we weren't able to sneak that into the last section. Could you just tell us what that is and give us some techniques to deal with that? Yeah, Bropriating is when a man steals your idea as his own, right? And I think you also talked about this at the beginning of the show where you say something, it goes nowhere, and then a few minutes later, somebody sitting two doors down from you is all of a sudden has the biggest, the greatest idea, right? When a man says it. Okay, so there's a couple things you could do for appropriating. And women, you need to do this more uh, all the time in the workplace, and it's called amplification. If women would amplify what each other says more often, men couldn't appropriate your idea. And amplification is simply the uh, process of commenting on what's been said. So like, for example, if I'm in a meeting with Lisa and Lisa says X, Y, Z, if I say, you know, Lisa, I really agree with that. And here's why. Or if I say, Lisa, I could support that idea. Could you tell us more? No one can steal that idea from Lisa. So ladies, you need to be amplifying what other women are saying so they get credit for it. And then the second thing is, and you have to be able to do this with a smile on your face. The second way to handle it is if someone steals your idea when they're finished, you say, you know, Joe, thank you so much for expanding on my idea. I really appreciate it because hearing it out loud like that made me realize there's some things I'd like to add to it. You know so what? Gracious. Joe is not going to do that twice. So gracious. I, I love that. 
we'd had a conversation earlier. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit here about this need for perfection that women have and that self-chastisement when we make an honest mistake. So mistakes happen. It's part of human nature. We are perfectly imperfect. How should a woman in the workspace address it when she makes an error? Yeah, women need to stop chastising themselves. They, as you said, everybody makes a mistake. The only thing you do when you make a mistake is you acknowledge it, you say what you've learned from it, and what you're going to do differently. Because that's all anyone wants to know. Unless it's a hugely egregious mistake, don't apologize for it. Don't say, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I got that wrong. I'm so sorry. No, what you say is, oh, I didn't realize that that's how that was going to go, or that didn't go the way I thought it was going to. You know, here's what I've learned from this, and I think if I do it differently next time, here's what will happen. Okay, you just focus on those three things, acknowledging it, saying what you've learned from it, and what you're going to do differently, period. Yeah, that is all senior management wants to know. There was a problem. Did you fix it? Moving on. Mm -hmm. um, we we haven't really talked about, I mean, it could be called the white male system. Sometimes it's referred to as the boys club. I call it the bro club because I work in sports. There's a phenomenon you had talked about called the wounded elephant. Could you develop that a little bit more and talk about that? Yeah, it's, it's what well, women don't have um, privy, they're not privy to. The wounded elephant syndrome is that when they're in a pack and it elephant gets wounded every all the other elephants circle around it right to protect it that's what men do when a man makes a mistake in the workplace the other men will often circle around and protect him from anything negative happening they don't do that for women they leave the woman hanging out to dry and that's why it feels to us like that that mistake is so egregious because we're not getting what the bro pack or the you know white boys club or whatever you want to call it we're not getting the benefit of that support and so you give it to yourself if you're not going to get it from someone else you give yourself the pep talk you know i made a mistake so what here's what i'm going to do Exactly. And move on. Yeah. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the work that you do outside of the work you do, which is a foundation that you started and continue to support. And I believe it's called Bloom Again. Could you talk about the origin of that? Yeah. Bloom Again Foundation is a 501c3 organization that uh, provides rapid response financial assistance to working women who live at the poverty level when they have a medical challenge that causes them to miss work. And I started it, oh, it's been almost 15 years ago, um, right after my own challenge with breast cancer. And what I realized when I had breast cancer was that I was really very lucky because I had all the resources I needed, whether it was financial or network or business or whatever I medical, I had all the resources I needed to heal at my own pace. But women who live at the poverty level don't have that luxury. Sometimes they're getting their chemotherapy and they have to go back to work the next day when you're just feeling sick because they can't afford to miss 
one day of work. And I wanted something that would help these women to, to heal at their own pace, to create some health equity here around healing, not just around access to health care, but also to healing. And so we work with other nonprofit organizations to identify women who have been working for the past year, who have a history of income, um, who live at the poverty level, and who could use a hand with a recent diagnosis that's causing them to miss work. Wow. So if people wanted to reach out and support this effort, how could they do that? Oh, I would love it if they did. And it's bloomagain.org. Bloomagain.org. This is a wonderful thing that you're doing when you realize you have a voice, you've got a platform, and you're helping people who do not have that platform, who do not have that advantage. And it's really a sense of social justice. I, I love that. So, Dr. Frankel, if people, women, listeners, men and women, wanted to reach out to you, how could they find you? They can find me at my website, which is drloisfrankel.com. There's, uh, it's just D-R-L-O-I-S-F-R-A-N-K-E-L.com. Or they can also, if they're interested in coaching, they can go to corporatecoachingintl.com. So I have two websites, uh, and you can contact me via either of the websites. Great. And I know you're on LinkedIn, so if people wanted to connect with you on LinkedIn, it's Dr. Lois Frankel. Yes, and I encourage them to connect with me on LinkedIn because, I, as you know, I try to provide articles and advice and, and things that are just going to help make your, your work path a little bit easier. Yeah, you are truly a woman. You are truly a human being who's making a difference. I know you've inspired me. I know you've inspired so many women to step into roles of higher leadership and to just keep their eyes on going forward and make the world a better place. So I so appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Uh, my guest today, Dr. Lois Frankel, can be reached at drloisfrankel.com. You can also support her charitable organization, bloomagain.org. And I highly uh, suggest you get onto LinkedIn and connect with her because she's brilliant. She's literally made a difference. Like I said, she prevented me, her books, by reading them from committing bossicide at least three times during the course of my 25 year career. So I wanna share with you uh, just a little bit of practical information here as we wrap up. Along with all the books that Dr. Frankel wrote, there's another book I wanna recommend by a woman whose name is Soroya Chamali. It's called Rage Becomes Her. And we all know that as women, we cannot show rage or anger in a corporate setting because we will be called a witch with a capital B. However, Soroya Chamali talks about 10 words that every woman should know. If you are being mansplained to, simply say, no explanation needed, with a big smile. If someone is bro-creating, stealing your idea, you can turn and say, dude, I just said that. And if someone is man-interrupting you, you can say, and remember the smile, please stop interrupting me. So. If you're a woman who is, uh, wants to advance in her career, move into a role of higher leadership, get all of Dr. Frankel's books. They are brilliant. Buy them, read them, mark them up with a highlighter. And then join me next week on Grace, Grit, and Getting It Done when I speak with Maggie Bain. She's a relationship and intimacy specialist. Maggie supports men and the women who, are, who love them 
to help her clients achieve authentic, healthy, fulfilling relationships. Maggie's superpower is uncovering the true root of her clients' disconnects so that they can co-create loving solutions with their partners. Maggie thoroughly understands the male psyche. You could call her the bro whisperer. You won't want to miss next week's podcast. You can email me, lisa at bigsky.coach, lisa at bigsky.coach, or follow me on Instagram, bigskycoach underscore lisa underscore Gillette. If you're a woman who wants to let go of the self-doubt, increase your income, step into a role of higher This is Grace Gritton getting it done. Tune in next week. I'll see you then. Ciao.